This is Top Landing Gear. And welcome to Top Landing Gear, and an episode that, if itself isn't worthy of going down in history, is all about one of the greatest inventions of the modern age. Something that changed the world forever, the jet engine. We had the immense pleasure and privilege of interviewing the son of the man credited with the invention of the jet engine, Sir Frank Whittle. We'll hear just a clip of our interview with Ian Whittle later in this episode. And as ever, you'll be able to hear the full-length interview in our Full Flaps edition, which drops a week after this pod. So depending on when you're listening to this, it may well be there now. What is here right now is the TLG team, so let's meet them. Firstly, our aviation expert, who just missed out on the RAF's fast jet course, but in keeping with his own personal development, has gone on to fly massive jets with massive engines. He is our massive aviation <laughs> expert and massive friend, James Carter. A massive hello. A massive hello, Jimbo. <laughs> now, in much the same way that you should never stand behind a horse, another animal you might want to give a wide berth to, not for fear of being kicked, but whose hot exhaust gases should be avoided at all times, agricultural and equestrian <laughs> fencer, my brother, oh. Jez Blow Him Away. <laughs> you got away with that one, Roy. <laughs> hello, everyone. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's more than a whiff of chart success amongst the team. As someone who's dropped one, <laughs> no, make make that three, make that four top ten hits. Lead singer, songwriter for the indie pop band Scouting for Girls, Microlite trainee pilot, and TLG podcast producer Roy Stride. Hello, everybody. And lastly, powerful and thrusting, leaving questionable trails behind him wherever he goes. He's super. He's Sonic. It's me, Rob. How are you Sonic? I don't know. I don't even know what that means. I'm a bit like a hedgehog. You're not even on the radio anymore. <laughs> I was never on the radio. <laughs> I didn't have the face for radio. No, that's that's what they told me. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's a super. It'll be back with you all. It really is. We'll have all our usual features. Ask James, Jez's quick facts. Uh, this week, all about the jet engine. And following last week's debacle, the top landing... <laughs> so, I, I've been upset about it ever since <laughs> the, top, the top landing gear quiz returns to its former glory high quality, well run easy to follow scoring rigorously fair and competently hosted by me okay. for those of you who didn't catch last week's episode it was hosted by James Cartner, the quiz because it was about the Wessex one of his former steeds mm. actually you did a grand job Thank James you. Well, there haven't been any complaints yet, and no one has also written, written in, wrote him, mate, to say well, how mate. good it was either. No, no, no. It, just, it isn't really that surprising. No, no. Well done, James, nonetheless. <laughs> good. Uh, what have we all been up to since the last time we met? Not much, I guess. I'm still peeling super glue off my fingers, <laughs> having <laughs> stuck myself to my digger, so yeah. that's about it for me. Good. Lovely. I'm studying hard for my air law exam, which oh, will be coming up soon, which is the uh, first time I've studied for anything in... 
15 years. So, yeah. Wow. You are composing some new songs. Yep. Yeah. I've been out playing shows and starting to record album number. We were just trying to work out I'm not even sure what number it is and how many we've done. It's like... You is know, it Greatest Hits number eight? Greatest Hits, is, yeah. Future Greatest Hits. <laughs> yeah, future yeah. Greatest. Now, what, uh, you played us a little bit of one of the tracks you've yeah. been putting down. It sounds great. It does sound yeah, really nice. Thanks, guys. With some strings yeah. in there. With some strings? Bit, bit, bit of orchestration? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. Nice. Oh, I can't wait. Can't right. wait to hear that. When, when will that be out? Or are we getting a bit ahead of ourselves here? Yeah, we're way ahead of ourselves. It's, that's the first single. Yeah. And the only song I've done so far. Okay. <laughs> Which is well, why it's the first single. Yeah. <laughs> well, depending on when you're listening to this, it may <laughs> may maybe on the greatest be... hits album. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you've got to maybe another sixty or seventy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and James, I know that you've been uh, fairly busy and things getting fairly back busy, to normal. Things getting the... back to normal-ish in the thing. I've been um, carrying on with constructing an extension at home. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. How's that going? I mean, don't bother telling us. But <laughs> I'm just being polite. Fine. Good. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> and you've had a lot more time on your hands because you haven't had to spend ages writing a quiz. So that's no, a lot of time. That saved me. Yeah, another minutes. couple of minutes. Yeah. So um, I've had that to <clears throat> just wallow around in my own juices, really. Yeah, splendid. Now we've been asking people to send in questions. Mm. Remember, just before we go on with the talking about the jet engine, uh, it's your chance and ours to ask James anything at all about the world of aviation uh, what questions have we had piling in well we have had as i said on the last episode we've had loads of uh fantastic feedback so many people pleased that we are back as a podcast we are the number one uk aviation podcast Still, I, i'm guessing we haven't had any questions this is what yeah, no, no no we have i'm just playing for <laughs> so, time no, trying to open the right folder <laughs> well on my phone there was one there was a helicopter question mm -hmm. which came in which i we should have really asked on last week's episode which yeah. is all about the wessex uh, but we had so many questions so this one is from sandy loind as the pilot of a paraffin budgie Mm -hmm. I actually have no idea what a lot of this means. <laughs> I wondered what views James has on the SAR seekings and was he ever tempted to apply for the SAR side of things? Cheers. Oh, right. What is a paraffin budget? Is it like a Bell Sioux? Bell 47. I'm gonna, no, I'm not even gonna bluff this one out. I still don't know what a paraffin, <laughs> paraffin budget is. Okay, it, it, might, be, it might be a type of helicopter, yeah. maybe it's the Puma or. Wessex, but um, no, I I've never heard the term, but it probably is a term out there. I'm just a little yeah. bit naive right, to we'll all gloss that over world. that. We'll gloss yeah. over Maybe that. he just yeah. didn't have his spell check on, and it was something completely different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't check his email. <laughs> but no, it's probably something that I just should know and don't. Sorry. Well, that's unusual. Uh, but yeah. as far as the, the actual question, paraffin budgie. Paraffin budgie. Yeah. It is the name of the helicopters that fly people out to the oil rigs. Ah, ah that makes that does make sense. sense. So it's a people sort carrying helicopters as yeah. opposed to a side. Yeah, interesting. Um, really. Good. Yeah. So SAR, SAR, search and rescue. If you wonder where, where um, right. is um, was was an option when I was going through uh, training, and people were either went search and rescue or they went. Um, to combat helicopters, as they were called. And at the time, I was 22, 23 years old, and it was all about combat um, battles. Sort of SH, as we call it, support helicopters, with, 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 a, with a sort of young, cool thing to do. And at the time, Search and Rescue had a little bit of a older man, pipe and slippers, <laughs> building a kit car while you're waiting for your, your shout-outs. Your real ale to brew. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. a real ale type, type drinking. And it, it wasn't... Then considered as as dynamic and glamorous as the support helicopter world, right. 
And those very few people also go search and rescue first tour. A few did, but it was it was quite rare. Having said that, having done a little bit of search and rescue myself, it's probably far more technically difficult than um, sport helicopters. It's an incredibly sort of complex um Dynamic, dynamic Dyn- flying, dynamic flying, yeah, of- and it's just you, you, you're at risk all the time. You, you, you're constantly thinking about escape options and how you, should something really bad happen. And it's not just, for example, an engine failure. It's should a sudden downdraft happen, or should the, should the wind change? What you're going to do to escape? Is this and, because of the, the geographical <coughs> situations you're, against, you're likely yeah, to be? So in. either you're nearly always up a mountain, mm. so you're possibly hot and high. You're against a cliff, or you're over a tiny little boat that you're trying <laughs> to rescue some. Blizer off. Yeah. Sound like sexual positions. Just, just remember, <laughs> against the wall, spent, <laughs> he spent a while <laughs> over a boat, <laughs> stuck <laughs> to a tractor by super glue <laughs> <laughs> this afternoon. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure most of those are like. Let's just sheep, not go there. Well, <laughs> that would be news to me. <laughs> oh God, get the scissors um, in, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it is a, a very, very technically demanding role. Um, and I think one that, as you mature, if you like, um, certainly, you know, is it very appealing, um, but not one that I, I did go for because no. you are also very much at the beck and call of, of people trying to kill themselves, <laughs> uh, and you sit there and you will have days where nothing happens at all. You're just yeah. sitting around a crew waiting, and then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong at once like that. Well, it's like there's a brilliant book I've read, and I wish I could remember what it was called. Who <laughs> the author was? He was a Royal Navy. Mm. Uh, SAR, SAR pilot, and it mm. was during the fast net, the awful mm. fast net rest in eighty something. Mm. Sorry, that's as vague as I can read that book. I can picture the cover. And yeah, I can't what it's, called. it's a brilliant, brilliant yeah. book. Yeah. But uh, interesting though, because you had the RAF doing the SAR, mm-hmm. but so were the Royal Navy, and yeah. they grey and orange yeah. helicopters. I wonder. How, it, it was just—it's it was, all privatized now. It, it is now. It, then it was split up geographically, so there were about four, I think, four or five naval stations that held the SAR um, responsibility, and then another half a dozen to dozen RAF stations. Yeah, um, and certainly in times of the Wessex, which was the original one, they were sort of the much shorter um, gaps between them. And when the Sea King came out. The range extended. Oh yes, and so they lost half of their stations oh, right. when the Sea King came and took over from the Wessex. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, but it was always held by the uh, the RAF and the Navy. Yes. With a little bit of Coast Guard down in the southeast at some uh, stage. Oh right. And Operating then now out of Leon uh, Solon or somewhere. Probably. Some of that, I think, or possibly, <clears throat> yes, it might have been Leon Solon. And then it was all. Privatized, yeah, and it's it's run by the Coast Guard now. Yes, but the companies that do it are, are private. private yeah, companies. and they're big, hefty, noisy helicopters. I can't noisy remember is are. all helicopters are noisy. Uh, these are incredibly noisy. Really noisy. Yeah, yeah, they really are. <laughs> um, yes, but they, you know, and, and I think it's come on. You know, they're, they're all now auto hover and um, well, very capable. I first heard about this during. I know we're talking about jets today. We, mm. we were talking about helicopters last time, but well, they are. Powered by turbo yeah, shaft turbo engines, so that's jetty, shaft. isn't it? Yes. When the we had the terrible floodings in Cornwall in mm-hmm. Boscastle, yeah. and all the Royal Navy and RAFC kings all went to yeah. rescue people, it was an extraordinary operation. Mm. I first heard them talking about the, the winchman, whoever it is, will will actually have a little stick by the door yeah. while the aircraft so is on auto. So the pilots are sort of hands off. Yeah. So the, the the pilot gets you to the location, puts you over the. Um, over the target and then hands basically hands over to autopilot and the the winch 
op, who is the man at the door, then has about 10% of the normal aircraft's authority Goodness. to move it in the hover That's forwards, incredible. back, left and right, which just saves him going forward a bit and the yes. pilot goes forward a bit. Gets, no, not that much, back a bit, <laughs> forward a bit, backwards a bit. And so he then has, has the control himself. Goodness um, me. Mm. So all that time that they're hovering, racing, the, the, the pilot's... On the, the, on the, the seeking, that's how, that's how it works. Sometimes some, uh, there'll be occasions when you can't be hands off. You know, no. For example, in particularly strong winds, yeah. or if the aircraft's been, been trying to turn, yeah. or if they don't want to, they, they don't trust. And, and, and in some, when you're incredibly close to a, to a yeah. cliff, you might not trust the autopilot just because you want to be there yeah. with your hands off. But saying that, the pilot's laws will always be following through. They yeah. don't just put their hands on their heads. No. They'll be Go following to the bunk. through. <laughs> Go to, to the, the bunk. bunk. Yeah, it's, not, it's not an airline, you know. <laughs> um, and there'll be. Um, they will be monitoring it and can also, should that system fail, the pilots will then do as they're, yeah. they're, they're sort of instructed by the wind shop. I've, um, I've found the, uh, the book that, uh, and it's actually not surprising. So the, the search and rescue book, uh, the title is confusing. Uh, it's called Rescue Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember now. Cheating the Sea. It's by Jerry Grayson. Jerry AFC, Grayson, yes. Uh, with a Ford by Prince Andrew. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> worth a read. Well, actually, always worth a read. It's a great book. Jerry Grayson Rescue was pilot. on a, a thing on Radio 4 called The Reunion with Sue McGregor uh, a short while ago where they got everyone together to talk who was involved in the Fastnet race who's mm. still alive. <clears throat> and uh, and he was sort of talking about the rescue operation from the Royal Naval Bases. Mm. Unbelievable. I mean, the mm. book is fantastic yeah, it's it's in, in a lot yeah. more detail, but it's so interesting to actually hear him talking about this. Yeah. The Reunion. Look out for it. BBC Radio yeah. 4. You'll and it is a really good sounds. book. Yeah. Rescue Pilot, Cheating the Sea. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. There we go. I did have a... I did have a you can edit this out if you like. Oh. I did have a question about the, the Wessex, which I forgot to ask last <laughs> week. Hubcaps on a Wessex. Oh, yes. Uh, I've seen pictures of bare wheels mm. with, you know... Uh, wheel nuts mm -hmm. and I've seen these sort of top hat type things stuck yes. on the side what are, they, what are those they all are flotation gear ah. so you have two big bags sort of like airbags on a car packed into those little hubcaps and if it detects water or you press the um, press the button two these two big bags come out and basically keep the aircraft afloat ah. do they work um, yeah they, they, they work there was one and um, the RAF lost an aircraft out in a typhoon in Hong Kong um, and they they blew the uh, the flotation gear on that and they all got off, and I think the last thing they saw it was still <laughs> floating drifting away off, distance. floating away into wow. the distance uh, when they when it was uh, when they'd all been rescued uh, yeah. after a while. So, yeah, very effective. Um, because the S sixty one N, which is like the big passenger <clears throat> carrying seeking, which is the helicopter that used to do the lands end of the Isles of Scilly yeah. <clears throat> trip, one of those ditched and it wasn't successful. All right, um, yeah. and and it just tipped over the moment. Yeah. It I think the, the worst thing you do is if one works and one doesn't, and yeah. it does. But you always expect. We used to do this thing called dunker training, where you you, you sit in a in a tube <clears throat> down in Yeovilton, and then they they put you in the water in a massive swimming pool. Yeah. It's all on cranes and everything. And it just goes in and then rolls upside down. I've and seen you have to those get things. Out. Oh, yeah. um, and you'd have to do that every two years. Some people hate it. Some people, weird people like it. And um, but it's just you always expect when it hits the water, it's going to go upside down because that's the natural way a helicopter would um, all the the. the the air being trapped underneath it, yes. it roll it upside down. With the Wessex having its engines mm. front, is it not very yeah. nose heavy when it hits the water? I, I imagine it would be. Yeah, but the, so the, the the flotation gear um, on the Wessex was those two hubcaps, as you say, which yeah. then come out as bags on the side, and there was a big inflatable tube just placed in the tail, fully inflated all the time. 
it's, it's basically dead space in the right, in the right, tail, right, right. and um, and it used to just float on on those three. Should it? That was the plan. Brilliant. So that's the jet engine then. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> <That's it. laughs> <laughs> if there are no more questions for James, no, I think let's go on. Let's, let's go, go on. on. There are there are questions. Keep them coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. uh, I've got loads and I can't remember any <laughs> yeah. of them. Um, well, yeah, the jet engine. We'll hear a clip of our interview with Ian Whittle in a moment. But first then, let's learn a bit about the history of the jet engine here. With his usual expulsion of hot air, is Jez with Jez's Quick Facts. Well, I've got three pages of Quick Facts. Oh, no. This was difficult. More, a, more like just facts. <laughs> just facts. Yeah, okay. Maybe. If, if that. <clears throat> right, here we go then. So this week's Quick Facts are a snapshot of a timeline on the development of what we call the jet engine. If I said to you three, jet engine development, you might say Frank Whittle's 1929 thesis on the future of aircraft design. And I would smile knowingly and ask, are you sure? And you would look blankly, and you would look blankly at me, and then I would say, settle back and let me take you to the first century AD and the hero engine, a steam-powered bladeless turbine uh, device described by Greek mathematician and engineer Heron of Alexandra. What? And you might look disinterested and concerned that these quick facts are, stra- are starting you might some way back. You might the podcast at some stage. <laughs> are starting some way back in time. And I would acknowledge this by skipping straight to 1884 <laughs> and Charles Algernon Parsons' patent for a steam turbine. Then I would tell you that Norwegian researcher... Aegidius Eiling built a gas turbine using a central f- uh, centrifugal compressor in 1903. Well, that's more like it. And yeah. then I would jump forward to 1920 and I'll ah. inform you about W.J. Stern's report to the RAF <laughs> that there is no future for turbine engines in aircraft. Ooh. And I would go on to describe in detail <laughs> Alan Griffith's 1926 paper Aerodynamic Theory of Turbine Design and how an airfoil-shaped turbine blade would make a practical engine possible. And how in 1927, a single shaft turbo compressor known as AN was successfully tested at the Royal Aircraft Establishment. Then next, I would tell you this. In 1930, Sir Frank Whittle presents a complete jet engine design to the Air Ministry, who via page three. It's <laughs> turning a page, folks. Don't panic, it's almost over. It's not. <laughs> who via Griffith reject his idea. Dejected, but unbowed, Whittle then, then, uh, Whittle then patents his designs. I ought to let you know how in 1935, Whittle and two former RAF officers who have faith in his concept set up Power Jets Limited, mm. and that by April 1937, Whittle's experimental centrifugal engine is on a testbed. Oh. I would definitely point out that the French and Germans were also trying to develop RAM and pulse jet technology, and that in 1938, the Heinkel HES3 engine is fitted to a Heinkel 118 aircraft and becomes the first aircraft to fly and be powered by a jet engine alone. By 1939, the Air Ministry visits Jet Power Limited to see a 20-minute full-power demonstration of Whittle's turbojet engine. The Ministry are now convinced of the concept and offer Whittle a contract to develop a flyable design with production contracts offered to almost every engine company in Great Britain, I might say. <laughs> In 1939, the Air Ministry contracts the Gloucester Aircraft Company to build an airframe, the Gloucester E2839, to test Whittle's engines. Continuing development both in Germany and now the United States, 
means that the race to produce the world's first viable jet-powered aircraft is really underway. You would learn that the Air Ministry placed an order for 12, later 8, twin-engined Gloucester Meteors in February 1941, and in May of that year, the single-engine E-28-39 aircraft flies for the first time, becoming the fourth jet-powered aircraft ever to take to the skies. Further worldwide developments continue throughout the war, with Heinkel, uh, Heinkel, Junker... Junkers. Thank you, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Further worldwide developments continue throughout the war with Heinkel, Junkers and Messerschmitt all developing viable aircraft in Germany and General Electric, amongst others, pursuing jet power in the States. In the UK, Armstrong, Sidley and Rolls-Royce are also now in on the act. Then I would mention to you that in <laughs> July 1944, the Gloucester Meteor enters service with the RAF, becoming its first operational jet fighter, shooting down two V-1 flying bombs in August. Post-war, the English electric Canberra became Britain's first jet-powered bomber, entering service in 1949, powered by two Rolls-Royce Avon Mark 109 turbojets. And I would remind you that it remained in service until, uh, with the RAF until June 2006. Huh. I would finish. I would finish by saying to you and our listeners that the age of jet power really became established in 1952, when the first, the world's first commercial jet airliner the Havilland Comet entered service with the BOAC. And then I would rest, and you'd wake up, and we will play the Whittle interview. Oh, <laughs> well done, Jez. Jez, that's, that's a good. work of art. Well, no, it was well tricky. No, that's so, a, that was a, yeah. it's a hell of a narrative. Yeah. That wasn't just... I'll tell you one thing that you did say was there, which is very, very important, was the... I can't remember, it was so long ago. But the... Um, Talking about the gas turbine engine yes. first running in 1900-something. 1903 or something. Yeah. Because in the interview that we will hear later, he talks about the use of a gas turbine had never been considered before um, in the use of an, to be used by an aircraft. Yes. But it, what was never clear was that the fact the gas turbine engine as, a, as an engine concept had been going for a while. Yes. Mm. But just never as a propulsion yes. device. Yes, no, that is absolutely right. Um, which is quite, what they're using it for. They were using it as a generator, I think. Yeah, right. Basically, using the, the the engine to speed yeah. up a generator. Yeah. To run electricity. Right. Generation. Wow. Fabulous stuff. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's it is actually really interesting. It was quite difficult to condense into that old nonsense, mm. but uh, there is and everybody was at. You know, it wasn't just Whittle was really sold. Down the river a little bit, I think, wasn't he? By by the air ministry or the or, or the, the war ministry. Yeah, it wasn't was. a smooth ride for him. I don't no, think. no, he, a lot of he took a lot of his his uh, sort of intellectual property to the states. Yeah, he did after the war. Yeah, oh, after the yeah. war. And in then fact, even during during the war, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, there was, they loved him. They, it, it, yeah. Again, the Ian Whittle interview is, is fascinating. Um, and there are bits where he, he talks about um, the Rover Group. Yes. Um, so Rover were initially given the contract to That's produce right. his yeah. jet engines. Yeah. And he just said that was a nightmare. There yeah. was just so much bureaucracy. So a lot of skullduggery. They nicked skullduggery. all his drawings yeah. and passed them off as, as their own. And, Some... also, and then finally it went to Rolls-Royce after the what he called the Rover fiasco yeah. and things started happening properly. That was yeah. another disastrous car of theirs, wasn't it? The Rover fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had one in 1964. Yeah. <laughs> they're all brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was. I mean, the, the chat with Ian Whittle, I mean, extraordinary to think you're just one mm. step removed from the man himself, mm. Sir mm. Frank Whittle. Mm. And um, 
uh, you talked about his father coming home and you know when he'd been working on the jet engine and mm. it's just extraordinary that you're that close yeah and so where where did you meet Ian Rittle because you've been flying with I've been him. flying with him because a friend of mine who was a cameraman oh. um TV cameraman he did my through the keyhole and uh, my Beatles about skit that I was in, and um, whoa, 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 you were in Beatles about? I yeah, was, yeah. yeah I yeah. didn't know that. I, was I in, know the through the keyhole. I did a whole series of Beatle, um, because the producer of the quiz show I did, Turnabout, was yeah. also the producer of right. Beatles about. Okay, so he said you must come and do a series of Beatles about. And well, you did the ultimate Beatles about, didn't you? I the, did the best, the best one they'd ever ever done. So they say, which is the alien landing in this woman's garden. Do you remember? That oh my a, god! Yeah. That yeah. was you. Well, that was the alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can be thinking that now. It, it was down in Dorset. And I won't take on take too long on this, but this uh, so this meteorite lands in her garden. She comes home from wherever she's been that evening and finds all the you know the, her local fire brigade there, the police, the army, scientists in white coats, um, and floodlights lit because it's at night everywhere but they're quite a long way back and hidden behind the floodlights are all the different tv cameras so of course which meant you couldn't see them yeah but because everything was so far away they had no way of getting in close to her unless they had a tv reporter with a camera crew so i was the tv reporter <laughs> um and so i would i went up to her and, and started interviewing her and i had to be from itn at the time i was actually working for the bbc and I said, uh, oh, hi, I'm Rob Curling from ITN. And she said, no, you're not. You do a quiz show. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, I've given it away at the first. Because what, she didn't. The, was I, she I was doing top landing gear quiz. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I was doing the regional news on the BBC in London. She was in Dorset. But on the network, she'd seen me do the quiz Amazing. show. So, and we'd been briefed not to do anything. It was the most expensive stunt they'd ever done. You mustn't do anything to risk giving it away. And, of course, the first hurdle, I'd almost blown it. But <laughs> anyway, it was a great thing to be involved in. But that cameraman, yeah. um, also very keen on flying, and uh, I bumped into him and he said, oh, I'm, I'm now an air traffic controller at Fair Oaks, and, but I'm still flying. Come flying. And uh, oh, when I told him about Ian, um, I know, told him about the podcast, he said, oh, you must speak to Ian Whittle. So that's how that's it came it. about. And, and, what then, did, and what did he take you up in? What, what? Uh, it was a Piper Cherokee Arrow or mm. Archer? Oh, Archer, right. I think. Mm. Nice. Really nice. Yeah. Really nice uh, aeroplane. And um, we flew off to the Isle of Wight, all above the clouds, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, had lunch at the Isle of Wight and then came straight back again. But it Lovely. was great. But that was my meeting with Ian yeah. to see if we might get on and he might agree to be a yeah. guest on the podcast, which thankfully he did. Perfect. Mm. Yeah. Terrific. So that's my story. And uh, <laughs> then I went predominantly into sport. <laughs> 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 so, shall we hear from our yes, guest, then, do you think? Uh, the son of Sir Frank Whittle, Ian Whittle himself, a, a notable aviator, aviator of considerable pedigree who flew the Gloucester Meteor in RAF service, powered by the very engines that his father had invented and who later joined the airlines. Well, James and I went to visit uh, Ian at his Surrey home and because Ian had indeed been a fast jet pilot, James struggled a bit to keep up with him. Um, but here's just a brief clip of Ian talking to us about his father's legacy. In order to make this happen, to build this engine... I mean, he had to go through a heck of a lot of swings and roundabouts to to get help and support. I mean, do you think he got 
a fair amount of support from from the powers that be, such as the government, the the maybe the Ministry of Aircraft Production, and indeed the RAF. Because we must remember that, of course, he was in the RAF as a pilot, and he was yeah. a very very good pilot too. Your father yeah, wasn't he? Was he a good pilot. He, he was assessed as above the average to exceptional when he left Cranwell mm. College. Um, but but no, he had no help whatsoever from the British authorities. When when he proposed his turbojet in 1929, he first showed it to his commanding officer, who was a group captain, Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Baldwin showed it to him, and Baldwin said, well, crikey, he said, if this works, it's, um, it's, it's rather incredible, mm-hmm. because uh, he's going to give a- aircraft a thrust of about a £1,000, which doesn't sound very much to you when you're flying 777s with 95 or 114,000 pounds of thrust. But in those days, yeah. there's a lot of thrust because yeah. when the Spitfire first flew in 1936 with the Merlin engine, mm-hmm. the propeller on that Spitfire gave it a thrust of about 860 pounds. Mm-hmm. So what Frank Whittle is suggesting in 1929 is a very, as an engine which would weigh half what Merlin was going to weigh when the Merlin came online, but this is 1929, before Merlin, yeah. and um, he, his, his engine was going to weigh less than £1,000 but have a thrust of about £1,000, so the thrust-to-weight ratio was good, mm-hmm. and um, it was going to have a compression ratio into the combustion chambers of 4 to 1 from two single-stage, uh, single-sided centrifugal yeah. compressors, and this would burn 168 imperial gallons of fuel an hour and have a huge expansion through the turbine. And uh, the turbine would absorb some horsepower to drive the compressors, and then the rest of the energy would go down a jet pipe as jet thrust. Now, did he get any help? His commanding officer said, go and see the air ministry. So he went to see the air ministry. um, What's his name? Baldwin made an, uh, an appointment for him, and he went to the air ministry. And they said, oh, um, he said, this, this is uh, Tweedy was the man who he met him at the door. Um, uh, Mr. Tweedy said, well, this is a gas turbine. He said, we don't know anything about gas turbines here in the air ministry, in the engine division. We're all piston engine people, aren't we? Yes. So Frank Whittle said, yes. Well, uh, isn't there anybody you know, who, you know, who could? They said, yes, we've got a man at the Royal Aircraft Establishment. We've got a um, Dr. Arnold Griffith. Oh, A.A. Griffith. A.A. Griffith. He became quite a thorn in your father's side, I think, didn't he? Did he he ever? (laughs) Alan Arnold Griffith. Now, Griffith was, without any shadow of doubt, a very clever man. He'd already done some very good work um, with structural tensile strength of metal and Mm -hmm. cracks in in metal and how you detect it and so on and so forth. He, He was sometimes known, I think, as Bubbles or something like that because of something he'd invented. Anyway, right. he, was, <laughs> he was very much an individual and any, uh, a lone worker as well. Mm. And, and Whittle walked into his office. Now, when Griffith saw Frank Whittle and saw the turbojet idea, we don't know what went on in his mind, but it seems to me pretty obvious that he was astonished at the simplicity mm. of the turbojet. And I think it may have upset him a bit because he hadn't thought of that. Mm-hmm. He had already on paper designed an incredibly complicated turboprop 
Yes, because his engine would have still had a propeller. Yes. On it. That's what was going to actually drive the aircraft yes. forward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, but it was so complicated. It had 14 stages of actual compressor, 14 stages of turbine, each set counter-rotating well, and reverse flow in combustion. So very heavy, we're talking about. It wouldn't have been very heavy, no. No, no. no it, was, it was just very, oh, very complicated. Right. Okay. So complicated, it would never, ever work. <laughs> uh, it, and yeah. Griffith kept on fiddling around with this idea until the 40s. Uh, 1940s, but uh, it was doomed. Mm. It was doomed technology. But he didn't know that at the time when mm. Frank Whittle walked into his office. Mm. But he looks at Frank Whittle's um, design for a turbojet and he poo-pooed the whole idea. Mm. He told the air ministry, he said, forget it. It doesn't warrant, it, has, it hasn't got the merit to warrant any further research. He said, um, the, he's too optimistic about his compression ratio from his compressor. Mm-hmm. He said there was no material that could withstand the inlet temperature at the turbine because Frank Whittle had predicted an inlet temperature of 800 Kelvin, and, uh, which is about 520-something mm-hmm. centigrade. Mm-hmm. And he, Griffith said that there's no material that could withstand it. Griffith was quite wrong because mm-hmm. there was a, an alloy out at the time called KE965, <laughs> which would have withstood mm-hmm. the temperature. And anyway, turbine cooling was an option. Yeah. So uh, Griffiths was really very naughty mm. in telling the poor old air ministry people who didn't know any better. Mm. And Griffith tells them that the idea has no merit. So obviously they, turn, they send all the paperwork to Frank Whittle with a letter which with a bit of uh, a rather naughty letter because it said they'd been experimenting with jet propulsion already and given up on it, or worse to that effect, yeah. which was completely untrue, palpably untrue, as, as Bill Gunston used to say. <laughs> uh, remember Bill Gunston yes. was a wonderful yes. journalist? Yeah. Anyway, so, so the, the whole idea was rejected. Now, when you're rejected by the air ministry like that and you are a serving officer in the RAF, you just get on with your career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't stuff around. Yeah. And Frank Whittle was very busy. Uh, this is 1929. He, was, he began to teach flying at number two FTS, which happens to be the same FTS that I went to when I was in the <laughs> RAF, but only a number. Yeah. And uh, he was, so he taught ab initio pilots on, on, uh, to, to, to fly. And um, then he, was, he also did uh, crazy flying, as they called it, aerobatic mm. flying yeah. for the, in front of the public at RAF Hendon and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because he was quite good at aerobatics and, and he broke a couple of aeroplanes. <laughs> yes, I've read this. <laughs> <laughs> Which was unfortunate. Is this flight... a quote from the boss that said you might as well just burn them all? Yes, yes that's, that's right. right. <laughs> his, flight, his flight commander said, why don't you put all these aeropla- my aeroplanes in the middle of the airfield and set fire to them? It would be quicker that way. <laughs> anyway, so he gets through all that and uh, he becomes a test pilot. Well, whilst he's... So, so therefore, from... October 1929, when he presents his idea of the turbojet, now on for a few years, he's just very busy with his mm-hmm. career. He was also coming up with all sorts of other ideas, not just the turbojet. He, he, whenever he, wherever he was and whatever he was doing, he was one of these annoying people who can always think of a better way of doing mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and when he once saw me out in the garden, I was trying to move a heavy piece of something or other. It's right around the corner there. It's a, it's a leather, a lead um, thing on a plinth. Yes. And I was trying to move it from one place to the other. He said, shouted out, he was sitting in a deck chair and he shouted, why don't you just roll it? <laughs> I thought, oh, that's a good idea. 
the way he is or <laughs> yeah. was. And um, so, so the RAF, because what I'm trying to say here is that he became a marked man in the RAF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They began to realise that this bloke could think outside the box, yeah. Yeah. which is all very well. But, you know, if you're trying to run a service, you're a senior officer trying to run a service and you've got personnel coming up with bright, bright spark ideas, that's great, of course, and you don't want to discourage them. But on the other hand, well, what do you do with them? Mm-hmm. You know, where do you slot them in to, mm-hmm. to, so that they can be useful? That was just uh, part of our conversation with him. It was a, it was a long chat. He put it a lot a, into it. He, he? He, he's very enthusiastic about the yeah. subject. It's great. And very, he's still passionate yeah. about his father's work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, it was fascinating. But what, what, the other thing that amazed me is, uh, I don't know if anyone's been to Brooklyn's. Yes. Yeah. There's an engine room in Book, Brooklyn's with yeah. these original engines in them. And they look nothing like a jet engine that you'd <laughs> consider these days. They've got pipes yeah. coming all over the place. <laughs> and and uh, I don't know if the original, um, is it the, the um, DA? Oh, the D, W1. W, the W1. Yeah. I don't think that's there, but there's a, there's a very similar yeah. version to it. Yeah. And it, it looks, as I say, nothing like a jet engine. Yeah. And you think, well, where even does the thrust come from? You know, it, it looks like yes. a lawnmower engine, yeah. but a big one. Yeah, um, um, and it is just, but to see the evolution of that through to, because um, they're all compressor. He talks a lot about the, yes. the difference between compressors and axial, uh, actual, actual, actual centrifugal compressors yeah. and actual flow compressors. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's it, quite it, technical it, in places, but it is a bit technical. I mean, it, the whole thing is is <laughs> fascinating, yeah. and as I said, it's you know pretty much first hand. Mm. And what was great also, I managed to get hold of his father's book, a first edition. Of uh-huh. Jet, the story of a pioneer by Sir Frank Whittle, which I got Ian to sign. So I've got Whittle's biography written by him, signed by his son. Which for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do any investigations? Oh, I love this. So as uh, as I always say, uh, full interview will be available on our full flaps. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time for the quiz. Yes. How do you feel about oh, that? Yeah, Shall we get back to the traditional manner after last week's of course, debacle? Absolutely. Do you mind if I take a few? I'm going to go through my 27 buzzers that I've decided <laughs> to... If you must. Yeah. Remember, these buzzers have to be relevant to the topic we're discussing. <laughs> oh, is that what Can we works? be absolutely uh, clear about that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> is anyone ready? Have you yeah, got I your set up? Buzzer, Jez, you like. let's yeah. hear you. So this is from a little um, Crown uh, information film. Oh, the COI. Yeah, I think. Uh about the jet engine. Here it is. The precise language of the engineer is called the jet propulsion gas turbine. Turbine. I love that. The jet engine. <laughs> one of the marvels of this century of marvels. Wow. That's very lovely. Good. And very Ian good. does mention the turbine. The turbine. Doesn't yeah. it? As indeed did his father. I don't know when it changed yeah. to turbine, but yeah, I love yeah. turbine. turbine. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. There we are. Uh, that's, when that's a point there on its own. Very nearly. Yeah. I mean, if there's some discrepancies, I'll bear that in mind, bro. Uh, James looks confused. Roy? Well, uh, for me, uh, my link to Jet is uh, when, if you were growing up in the early 90s, I like finished I was, growing up by then. Yeah, yeah. There was the holy trinity of childhood crushes, which was Michaela Strachan, mm-hmm. Jenny ah. Powell. Oh, yes. And Jet from Gladiator. (laughs) So my buzzer is... (laughs) 
<laughs> the theme tune to Gladiators. That's brilliant. Oh, and the go. lovely that thing is. about that was that the Gloucester Gladiator, of course, preceded the Gloucester E28 39, uh, <laughs> which was the first jet. No, no, this is yeah. just about jets. That's lovely. Yeah. Well done, Roy. Um, well done. Jimbo. Yes, um, I've gone for copyright infringement. I thought would go is the best way to go to these bowls. <laughs> and just decided to go for some popular music. <laughs> well done. Well just, done. Yeah. Paul McCartney singing Jet. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Lovely. Good. They're all very, very good buzzers. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's no, get going on, with on, the go. Whittle Jet Quiz question one. The Gloucester Meteor, as we heard from Jez, was Britain's first jet fighter. But in 1955, Number 81 Squadron received the PR Mark 10s, which they used to replace their mosquitoes in the reconnaissance role. Where? <laughs> yes, James. Malaysia. Apartment? Malaysia. Malaya. Malaya. Malaya is the correct answer. <laughs> James, I don't know how many times uh. I'm going to have to tell you, Malaysia didn't come into being until 1963. <laughs> Malaya, but I'm letting you off the hook. Well done. It was indeed Malaya, of course, during the... Uh, emergency. The Malayan emergency. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. That now, was the... the only point I was going to get. In this <laughs> oh, bad luck. I almost couldn't bring myself to do it because it's, it's so... I know. I don't think he can start he has, with he has, he has, He's got yeah. no shame. No, I have yeah. no shame. No. I'll take points anywhere. <laughs> Question number two. Oh. James, have you broken my belt? No, I haven't touched it. <laughs> he was hitting it quite hard. <laughs> he was. He was all angry. <laughs> the Meteor was closely followed into service by the de Havilland Vampire, which arrived just too late to see action in World War II. The fighter-bomber version, the FB-5, saw its potential fulfilled very early on, using rockets and bombs against insurgents during which conflict? Yes, James. I'm probably a few years out. It's not Aiden. Was it Aiden? No, it's a lovely one. Yeah, a little bit early for Aiden, yeah. I think. When was Aiden? 60, 60, 60, 62, 3, 4, 5, something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to swallow my pride. The Malayan Emergency. Correct! Oh, well done! Yeah, it was the Malayan Emergency <laughs> during Operation Fire Dog. So much early aviation history in Malaya, <laughs> for which I'm very thankful. <laughs> Okay, on to another pet subject. Question number three. During the 1969 Daily Mail air race... <laughs> oh, come on. We all love it. Yeah. Numerous military aircraft, including the winning Royal Navy Phantom, flew in and out of Wisley Airfield in Surrey, the former testing airfield for Vickers. So the RAF 10 Squadron VT-10s looked very much at home, whereas the two competing 543 Squadron Victors were complete strangers at Wisley. But... What did the Victor and VC-10 have in common that Wisley would have found very familiar? James. The engine. Why? They had the same engine as the VC-10. What was that engine? Oh, now this is where you're testing me. <laughs> Ada? I'm just remembering was how you Ada? scored last week's I... podcast. Ada. 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 Do you mean the Avon? No, I don't. Ada. I wasn't going to say that. Ada was a dam. I'm yeah, not going to. I'm not no, going to give you that, enough, James. But he's right with the engine. So there's a half point sort of floating around. Do you want? The but if you type? get the name of the engine, you get a full point. Is it the Conway? It is the Rolls Royce Conway. Yeah, Jez, right. well done. You get a full point, and uh, James gets a half because it was the engine. I would have also accepted T tail mm. because the Victor, of course, has that amazing mm. T tail, as did the VC10. 
Uh, a little bit a bonus question here, actually. What is significant about the Rolls Royce Conway? Yes, Jess. Was it present in both the Victor and the VC10? <laughs> Brilliant. Extra point for you. No. Well, yes, but that's not what was particularly significant about it. The Rolls-Royce Conway. Any thoughts? No, no, First Turbo no. fan. Well, you've had your go. Well, yes, that's James, true. James, do you want to buzz in? Yes, James. Was it the first turbo fan? Yes, it was. It was indeed the first turbo fan. You need to keep your mouth shut, brother. For God's sake. sake. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Very, very good. I knew it was. Okay, well done. On to question I'm number quite four. Myself. Rolls Royce engineer Stanley Hooker worked closely with Frank Whittle, but which engine is he famous for designing and for which groundbreaking aircraft? Yes, James. I'm going to guess the Pegasus for the Harrier. Yeah, well, I mentioned this during the interview with, <laughs> with Ian, and you were sitting right next to me. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to give James a point. Yeah, he's looking a little bit smug. Well, at least he was listening. Well, he does show you. Yeah, it was for our, our dear old Harrier. Um, I thought you might have gone for the Olympus, actually, no. but which he was involved mm. in, but more the marketing point of view. Just uh, recap the score. Well, cap the scores. Uh, Roy yet to score. Yeah. Jez with two. James in the lead with three and a half. It's a <sighs> big, big I gave lead. him one yeah. of those answers. Yeah. Well, it's a bit your own fault. Yeah, it is. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally my own Okay, now look, Roy, okay. here you go. Okay. Think about James and his buzzer and get ready. Okay. Ready. Okay. Other than the obvious, what does the 1974 Paul McCartney hit Jet have in common with the Gloucester Whittle? And indeed most other aeroplanes. The Gloucester Whittle? Well, the, yeah, it was called, known as the Gloucester Whittle, the E2839. Um, yeah, it, not its official name. It actually was called the Gloucester Pioneer, but no one called it that either. Three seconds. But, okay, Roy. What? <laughs> again. Yeah, what does the 1974 Paul McCartney hit Jet have in common with the Gloucester Whittle and indeed most other aeroplanes. <laughs> a jet? <laughs> other than oh, the right, jet. Oh, right, other than. I don't know. Bad luck. Yeah. Oh, it's a great effort. Yes, James. Wings. Wings. Oh, it's correct. Of course. Wings. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, James has been, you know, it's his buzzer. <laughs> yeah, everyone's looking a little bit depressed. Oh, no, What's sorry, that it? was my fault. It's, yeah. it's the sound of listeners yeah. turning off. <laughs> oh, no, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, by the way, Jet was his, lab his uh, Labrador retriever. Was it? Yeah. What's wings. What's the colour of the lab? Black, I believe. Oh, right. yeah. Paul McCartney's. Yeah, apparently. Um, wings. Bonus <laughs> question. <laughs> the band the Beatles could have been. <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> bonus question. Which album is it from? Oh. oh. Band on the Run. Well done, Roy. It's from yeah. Band on the Run. So Roy's off the mark at last. Yeah. Extra bonus. Yeah. The cover of Band on the Run featured a number of celebrities caught in a spotlight as if escaping from prison. Oh, yeah. Like a Band on the Run. Yeah. Among them was someone who'd been a competitor in the 1969 oh, Daily Mail sake. Air Race. Come on, don't say I don't do my research. <laughs> who was it? Think of the cover. Can you remember who's on the cover? I'll give you some names. 
but obviously not the name. Michael Parkinson, Kenny Lynch, James Coburn, Christopher Lee, um. John Conte, the boxer, and. Oh, God. I might have to count you out. Yeah. You'll it's, kick yourselves. Is it, Come on. is it the racing driver? Sterling Moss? No. Nice idea. Any takers? No. No. Everyone's shaking their heads. It was Clement Freud. Oh, oh yes. I mean, how strange uh, that he should have been on that cover, and equally strange that he should have been on the Daily Mail Air Race, where he snitched on an RAF sergeant, didn't he? Oh, for, yeah. for using the wrong method of transport. I think he was only on the cover as well because he was in the building. I think there was something was like some that. Some sort of story like that. That's a point. That's a point. Good background. Okay, onward, onwards we go with question six. Yeah. What was the significant difference between the US-operated Phantom and British Phantoms, which gave the British Phantoms better range and acceleration? Yes, James. The jet engines. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's they almost were... yeah. Uh, that is true. Can you tell me what yeah, the... they were different? They were different. Yep. Can you tell me yep. either of the either the American yeah, the, engines uh, or the, the the British ones were better than the American ones? <laughs> this is why we are one hundred eighty seventh. Biggest in aviation <laughs> podcast in America. <laughs> and falling rapidly. Yeah. It did is the, the engine. Did the American one have Pratt & Whitney somethings? Yeah, it had GE turbojets. Mm. General Electric, right. Yeah. And, well, they had Rolls-Royce in the... In the yes. Yeah, do you know which Rolls-Royce engine? Two of them. <laughs> one and two. Well, that wasn't the Avon, was it? No. Next one along. I'm going to have to tell no, you. No, I don't know. They were Rolls-Royce Spey oh. turbo fans. Oh. So no marks there, but I'm going to give you a little bonus. Hmm. James, this always plays into your hands. Which two British airliners famously used the Rolls-Royce Spey? Yes, James. The 111 did. The BAC 111 for a point. Mm. Absolutely right. I'll offer it over to the others for an extra point. I've actually answered this question in the previous quiz as well. That Spey <coughs> thing. Think of a 1960s airliner. 707. British. British. I think your first guess might be quite close. Cox. Comet. No. No, that was Rolls-Royce Avon. Would you like it? Would you like a go? No. Okay. I didn't know. It was the lovely old Trident. Oh, the Trident. I love the Trident. Nicknamed the Gripper because it took an awfully long time to get off the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Nimrod and the Buccaneer, also powered by uh, Rolls-Royce Space. James really getting ahead into the lead here. I think we might just have one more question, do you Mm, think? If we have to. Yeah, well, why not? Um, I was going to use this as a tie-break question, but we're not going to need a tie-break question. So let's go for this one then. Final question. Two of Britain's early military jets were the de Havilland Sea Vixen and the English Electric Canberra, both powered by Rolls-Royce Avons. But what unusual physical feature did the Sea Vixen share with some versions of the Canberra, notably the photo reconnaissance? Yes, James. Kind of going for the offset cockpit. Ah, beautiful. Absolutely spot on. They've got an offset cockpit 
I think, to the left because mm. the navigator or whatever role he was fulfilling was, was sort of stuck down in the fuselage, couldn't mm. see out in front of the toilet window, beneath where the pilot was sitting. So the, the cockpit was actually offset to the left. There we are. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. I know you look absolutely fascinated. Gerald looks just a bit pissed off, to be right. frank. But uh, Roy, not much better. Uh, let's go through the final scores then. In third place with a really elegant one. Thank you. Uh, Roy Stride. Mm. In second place with an impressive two. Uh, is Jez. I'm going to have add up James's score. One, two, three, four, five, six and six. a half well points. Done, James. I think well that's done. a record from a very high score. Jets yeah. pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a failure tonight, though, am I? <laughs> yeah. Well done, Jimbo. Yeah. 30 well years done. later, finally. He's yeah. back yeah. on form. Yeah. He's had a week as Quizmaster and now he's come back and he's shot but, to the top and of the, the tree. The week before was the Vulcan fiasco. Yeah. The Let's ask the person who knows everything about the Vulcan all about the Vulcan. Oh, yes. So we have to put up with that. Well, hang on. You, 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 you've done, you flew the Wessex <laughs> and didn't win that one. <laughs> and you are currently flying jet airliners and did win this one. So I don't think... And your technical knowledge should be somewhat better than mine as a fencing contractor. Okay, let's do one on glue next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get wings. So yeah. That is... No, that was a shame. Yeah. That was we, really yeah. playing into your hands, I, yeah. I felt. But I, know. I think it's sort of long given up by then. I, almost, I was actually just looking at something on my phone by that we point. We record that, that question. It's James and him anyway, just mm. so that Roy gets it, because it would... It's like embarrassing. You know? Yeah, all right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, there's pity and there's pity. I mean, should we just put him down? <laughs> Love it, guys. I think that's... I'm going to edit all this out. You're quiz not going to come out of it very well, James. It'll just be gladiator yeah. theme. All right. <laughs> Every answer, but with James's voice. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so wins. this is for the edit. And congratulations to Roy, the winner Thank of the Thank you quiz. very much. Right, let's go. <laughs> Great, well done. You can cut that in. <laughs> well done, guys. Well done. Uh, messy, but well done. Um, now, to those of you still listening, well done. And remember, you'll be able to hear our full-length interview with Ian Whittle in our Full Flaps edition, which drops a week after this episode first airs. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might well be there right now. And if you'd like to listen to any or all of our podcasts so far, you'll find them on our updated website, toplandinggear.com, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And please do subscribe. It is completely free. And let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature, and we'll try and make it happen. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Top Landing Gear. And do please email us your questions for our expert, James, at info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com. Two G's. As ever, please do recommend us to your friends and family and leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. If you really haven't enjoyed this or any of the other episodes, maybe just keep it to yourself. No need to mention it on social media or anything. (laughs) Um, We'll be back again in another couple of weeks for your further listening pleasure. Or maybe not. Uh, Thanks for listening anyway. And bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.